The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvelous stuff, marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. other alone like this is the question one of the questions hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the politocrat i am omar moore and it is easter sunday april the 12th 2020 and whether you Celebrate Easter or not, I just want to wish you a safe Easter, a safe day, and a safe tomorrow, and a safe and healthy beyond. If you can find some measure of happiness and amusement, I hope you can, that it serves you in these difficult and challenging times for all of us on varying levels. We are all going through different kinds of things as a result of this pandemic. And we will have to rise together or we will fall together. And Bruce Springsteen's song, I think, is a sobering truth that speaks to those of us who have not been heard from or who have not been listened to more precisely and more accurately. That song was... Released in 1993, of course, during the height of the AIDS pandemic. And the truth is, is that the HIV AIDS pandemic has not really gone away. It's just not being talked about now in the corporate news media. HIV is still one of the killers of black women in tremendous disproportion to the rest of the population. And as I have alluded to in the past, this virus, the coronavirus, is disproportionately killing 
black people versus their percentage of the U.S. population in different states across the country. So with that backdrop, one will have to ask the question that I am going to pose and we'll get back to after some headlines is, what kind of government do you want? What kind of government do you want? That is going to be the focus of this edition of The Politocrat. Once again, what kind of government do you want? I'm going to go through some headlines here. The rate of people passing away now, the numbers now, and I'm going to go into numbers, 10,000 plus now have died in the United Kingdom, my native country. That mark was passed on this day. And also on this day, Boris Johnson was released from the hospital, the UK Prime Minister, who a week ago, many of us were wondering if he was going to live or die. It was serious. But he has received the treatment in the intensive care unit that he was getting. And he thanked nurses in a statement today. Um, which you can find on his Twitter page. And he goes into about five minutes of, of praising the two nurses who he said saved his life in the National Health Service. And the National Health Service, by the way, has had now at least 19 workers die as a result of this virus. I want to play a couple of things to you as part of these headlines, just to get you to understand that we, on the theme of government, that we have governments, particularly in the UK and the US, who are operating on levels of psychopathy that I've not seen in a number of years. I'm sure some might disagree with me because this is not the first time that the UK government, particularly under the Tories, have behaved in this psychopathic way. Here's what Matt Hancock, who is the health secretary in the UK, by the way, he also came down with coronavirus. I should not fail to mention that. Here's what Matt Hancock said when he was asked a question on Friday at the press conference that they have every day at Downing Street about the number of people. Well, let me just play it for you so you can hear the reporter asking this question. And just listen to how the health secretary, Matt Hancock, chooses to deal with this question. This is just unbelievable. Thank you, Mr. Hancock. Um, Can I firstly ask how many frontline NHS workers have died from COVID-19? And secondly, could I ask when a healthcare worker does pass away, Has there been some form of investigatory process put in place so that we can learn lessons from what happens to them and make sure it doesn't happen again to their colleagues? Yes, I think this is a question for you, Ruth. Okay, thank you very much. 
We know that any death for, due to coronavirus is a tragic one. We also know that a death of a, one of our workers, one of our family, uh, is, for me, heartbreaking. Um, we do have uh, a numbers of people that have died, whether they're nurses, midwives, healthcare assistants, doctors. It would be inappropriate for me right now to go into listing them and, and numbering them because we haven't got necessarily all of the position across England with all of the people's families giving us the permission to talk about them. But um, I recognise that we will and, want, and we'll want to make sure that we are learning any lessons to be learned. But it'd be inappropriate for me to comment on any individual death that we've seen, whether that is one of our healthcare workers or not. That is a disgrace. First of all, why is the health secretary in the government of the Tories with Boris Johnson as the first among equals as prime minister handing off that question to the chief nursing officer? The female voice you heard there was that of Ruth May. No relation to former prime minister Theresa May, mind you. But Ruth May has been in the job just over a year as the chief nursing officer. And even if she'd been there for 10 years, that question about the number of NHS workers dying, that question about is there an investigative procedure being run after people in the NHS are dying, those questions should be handled by the health secretary, Matt Hancock. And he cowardly passed the baton to Ruth May. And I'm playing that audio, but it's video of this. There's video of this. And you can see that Ruth May, A, does not want any part of the questions because she doesn't answer them. And B, she very wryly says, and I think sarcastically, thank you very much. And you heard her hemming and hawing and giving answers to a question that the reporter there did not ask. The reporter, she very clearly asked how many people had died in the NHS regarding this virus and what steps and what investigative procedures, if any, are you taking when these deaths occur? And you heard Ruth May there talking about, well, you know, I don't want to get into numbering them. I don't want to get into naming them because we haven't consulted with the families. Well, the reporter didn't ask you to name any of these workers. The reporters did not ask you about anything like that. She asked a very simple one or two questions that really should have been answered. But the thing is, these folks who are at the helm here in Boris Johnson's government do not have the answers. They have no idea and it's, bored, it's psychopathy at work. It really is psychopathic. So you don't want to even acknowledge the deaths of people because there are now 19, make it 20, people of the NHS who have died and counting. So it is really, in my view, callous that neither of them 
had these numbers. Later on, Matt Hancock did come out and say, well, yes, there have been 19 healthcare workers. But the, by the way, this audio was from Friday that I just played, from the Friday press conference at Downing Street. And this is really substandard from the UK government at best. Then, then we had, and by the way, this is the same, and I'll get to Matt Hancock again because I have something else to say about him. And this is the same UK government that just yesterday gave us this response at the same Downing Street press conference, except for yesterday, from the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel. Just take a listen to this. But no apology, Home Secretary, for these failings which NHF staff and their families blame on the government. Well, I'm sorry if people feel that there have been failings. I'll be very, very clear about that. But at the same time, we are in an un in an unprecedented global health pandemic right now. It is inevitable that the demand and the pressures on PPE and the demand for PPE are going to be exponential. They're going to be incredibly high. That's pretty Patel yesterday. I mean, this is just, I'm sorry if people think that there's been failures, that we've failed. Psychopathic. Home Secretary, over 10,000 people have died in the United Kingdom. And by the time I finish recording this episode of this podcast, probably another 200 people will have died in the United Kingdom, Madam Home Secretary. And for Pretty Patel to display that kind of indifference and that kind of scorn and contempt. I'm sorry if people think that there's been failures. Really? That is not an apology. That is contempt. This is the same Home Secretary that said that British workers are idlers. Dominic Raab was in that crew of people as well. Dominic Raab has essentially been the deputy prime minister taking over in Boris Johnson's stead. This is not good enough. This is, this is pure psychopathic behavior. And then she says later on, as, as you just heard, oh, well, you know, there's this high demand for PPEs. Well, you should have known this. What are you doing about it? I mean, you've got over here in the US, you've got the New York Times of strong articles yesterday and today about people in the government. And I've talked about this as well in prior editions of this podcast who had been warning Trump over and over and over again, over and over and over again about what was going on. And Donald Trump made just just the most callous of statements, just like Priti Patel, that I, I, I honestly think are psychopathic. Here is a piece of what was said today, and this was from Alex Witt's program on MSNBC, Alex Witt, and here is Peter Baker, who's a New York Times reporter, and I'll also be talking about the New York Times as well in a few moments. But this is what was said here. This is about 90 seconds. With me, um, Peter, walk us through the timeline here 
as reported by you and your colleagues, and who or what stopped the president from taking action as soon as he was warned about a potential pandemic? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's one of the central questions we're going to be focusing on for a long time here. How did this happen? How did this uh, play out this way? And the reporting that my colleagues have done this morning, I think, really lay out in very, very stark terms the many instances where people in the government and outside the government saw what was coming and tried to get enough attention at the top level, including the president, to focus on it. Uh, you know, even the president's own uh, trade advisor, Peter Navarro, wrote a memo uh, warning that half a million people could die from the coronavirus. The president was asked about that this last week. He said that he never saw it, but our reporting shows that he was told about it at the time. In fact, he was mad at Peter Navarro for putting that in, on paper. Alex Azar, the Health and Human Services Secretary, called the president at one point uh, while he was on Air Force One to warn him that this could be a pandemic of great proportions, and the president called him an alarmist. He got, it got so uh, frustrating for a lot of the doctors uh, and experts who were working on this, they created their own secret email uh, exchange they called Red Dawn. It, it's a reference to the movie back in the 1980s when these you know, uh, teenagers are trying to save America from a Soviet threat, in which they expressed how uh, aggravated they were that nobody was listening, that they felt that the country was not moving fast enough to respond to the threat that was coming. That should chill the blood of everybody who has just heard it. That should really chill your blood. That is a psychopath in charge of things at the White House. And this is the guy who said that the churches, he wanted the churches to be packed on Easter Sunday. Well, here we are. It's Easter Sunday. And while the Supreme Court in Kansas has sided with the governor there, Laura Kelly, and has said, we're going to limit church gatherings to 10 people. You've now got churches all over Kansas with many more people in it than that. This is not the way things are supposed to be. It's just not. I want to play this portion as well, and I'm going to do that right now before taking a quick break. Listen to this. This is also from Weekends with Alex Witt on MSNBC today, Easter Sunday. Just listen to this. Can you address, Peter, the bold action referenced by the White House? Uh, mitigation wasn't enacted by most calendars until March. Yeah, I think what they're talking about there is something the president talks about a lot, which is his decision on January 29th to uh, restrict travel coming from China. They restricted non-Americans coming into the country uh, who've been in China for the last 14 days. Dr. Fauci and others have said that was an important step, that that, in fact, probably did help reduce the, uh, the spread of the infections. The problem is they didn't follow that up with an aggressive testing regimen right away or aggressive mitigation to prevent, uh, you know, to use the time that that uh, travel restriction was buying them. The travel restriction wasn't stopping the infection from coming here. It was slowing it down. And they couldn't, the government didn't use that extra time they had bought by doing what the president did to prepare for it. That's what our reporting shows. And that is the deal. 
testing. Travel bans and restrictions don't do much of anything. And as a matter of fact, there were still 430,000 people coming in to the U.S. who had been to China. So this travel ban on China, which was done late, as you heard in January of this year, was after the Lord Mayor's show, to borrow a phrase from my native London. The, the horse was already out of the barn door, is what it means. And it's a very anticlimactic thing to do. And by the way, 62 other countries had already done travel bans or restrictions on China and had done so a good few weeks earlier. In fact, had done so in late December and early January. So the idea that that restriction was even slowing things down is, in my view, not exactly accurate either, because you were having people coming back from China here into the U.S. after that point. You got your first case on the 22nd or so of 21st of January, and then there were subsequent quick cases after that. And then we had this New York Times report that I read out that dealt with the fact that a lot of travelers were getting this virus after traveling back to the U.S. from Europe. And in fact, high numbers of people were. So the idea that this was something that people were getting solely from China or even mostly from China, as far as Americans are concerned, is definitely at question. And the other thing that Peter Baker says there is testing. There's no money that's been spent on testing, very little. We need testing. We need it, need it, need it. It's very important. Welcome back. So the New York Times yesterday, and uh, they did this today as well, put out these stories, really good comprehensive stories about the people in Trump's administration, in uh, the CDC, in, in NIH, and other places who had been warning Trump for weeks and months and had been reacting to this in real time in a load of emails that the New York Times published. Peter Baker, who you just heard from there uh, in those two clips, reported on this or definitely released a story on this in the last uh, 24 hours or so, talking about these officials who, you know, as you heard, conducted this private email chain. They went around Trump because Trump was not listening to them, didn't want to hear it. As you heard, alarmist, calling, calling these people alarmists. Alex Azar, who is a pharmaceutical giant guy in the... Um, <laughs> as the, as the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary, who has been pretty much neutralized for the most part over the last few weeks, calling him an alarmist. You have Peter Navarro calling him someone who, you know, he demote, basically demoted Peter Navarro. So these are the, this is when I asked the question. You know, we need testing in this country. And now this guy wants to open the country back up. And as Speaker Pelosi says, testing, testing, testing. We need testing. I keep asking this question. What kind of government do you want? I keep asking. What kind of government do you want? The New York Times, by the way, um, did a story as well. I should add this really quickly on Tara Reid. 
And in the episode yesterday, I talked about Tara Reid, her allegations, and had, as have many, wanted and demanded the mainstream news media, the corporate news media, to start reporting on her allegations, on her allegations against Joe Biden. One thing I neglected to say, by the way, is that Tara Reid, on Thursday, last Thursday, a few days ago, filed a police report, a criminal complaint, filed a report of a police report to the D.C. police against Joe Biden for what she said was the attack on her by Joe Biden back in 1993. So that report is now official. And I think that the New York Times had to be compelled at this point to report about it. They should have reported about this a long time ago. The Intercept did. Current Affairs, the mag- that the magazine, online magazine and, and uh, news journal did. Newsweek did. Business Insider did. Katie Halper, who was the first person to interview Tara Reid, at least in the last few months, back in March of this year, um, was the, got the major exclusive with her. She interviewed her for over an hour, for about an hour. Then you had Democracy Now! interviewing her as well. So Tara Reid has been heard from in certain parts of the media, but not from the corporate news media. And now finally, the New York Times today published a story, in-depth story. I recommend that you read it. I've definitely tweeted it out at the popcorn, R-E-E-L. That's my Twitter handle. And I'm sure that people have already seen it by now, I hope. But one of the things, and it's an in-depth story, but one of the things that the New York Times did do was something I thought was really sinister in their reporting of this, is that they tweeted out the following, and they since deleted it. This was from earlier today, Sunday. This is from the New York Times. Now deleted tweet. And I'm reading directly from it now. No other allegation about sexual assault surfaced in the course of our reporting nor did any form of Biden staff corroborate Reid's allegation. We found no pattern of sexual misconduct by Biden beyond hugs, kisses, and touching that women previously said made them uncomfortable. That is an extraordinary statement to make, and quite frankly, should never be made. Because the New York Times is a newspaper. They are not the judge, they are not the jury, and they are not the executioner. Although they were in 1989, as were many press agencies around the country, but particularly in New York, when they basically, not even basically, they said that these five young black boys and Latino boys in Central Park were guilty as sin. I mean, they published headlines like Youth's youth's Rape and Beat, Central Park jogger. I mean, those were New York Times headlines. I still have the clippings when they came out on April the 20th, 1989. And that was almost what? 31 years ago now. Next Sunday will be exactly 31 years that this horror happened both to the woman who jogged in the park, Trish Miley, and these five 
young boys, black and Latino, who are now the exonerated five, because of course they were innocent all along. So it's very interesting that the New York Times, who 30 years ago, now nearly 31 years ago, indicted five young boys with these headlines. And their feeding frenzy of the New York media was hang these boys high from the highest tree. And then some some politicians and other writers did too. And we had Donald Trump, of course, putting out a full page ad soon after that declaring that he wanted the death penalty for these five young boys who are actually innocent. And by the way, he still hasn't changed his tune on that, despite the fact that we know that they are innocent and that we know that one person alone attacked this woman in Central Park. Now you've got the New York Times putting out tweets talking about, well, we didn't find anything, basically saying that Tara Reid is lying her ass off, which she's not. I find her to be very credible. That's my opinion. I wasn't there, as I said Yesterday, nor were you. But the New York Times is not the trier of fact. The job of the New York Times or any other newspaper is to publish the allegations. Do the reporting and let the public decide. You don't put out things like no other allegation. You're not a court. You have to report. Isn't that the old axiom of even Fox News or somebody? Their mantra once was, we report, you decide. I mean, that's Fox News, for God's sakes, from years ago. And then they had that fair and balanced slogan. Well, we know that Fox News is a pure lying factory and a propaganda machine. We know that. Go and read Jane Mayer's story on the Fox News White House that she did last year. And you can read all about it there from the New Yorker magazine. Jane Mayer, one of the top investigative reporters in the country. She's excellent. And her last name is M-A-Y-E-R. So why is the New York Times behaving like Fox News now? Why are they putting out tweets, which they since deleted, and they didn't even really acknowledge that they deleted it. They didn't, they didn't refer to the tweet. They just said, oh, we, we, did, we deleted in something that we, we said. We found no pattern of sexual misconduct by Biden beyond hugs, kisses and touching that women previously said made them uncomfortable. Really? Are you a court? I mean, is the New York Times now a courtroom? Are, are, they the, are they the judge? I mean, I know that there's physical distancing going on. That, and I mean, we've had the uh, Kentucky uh, Supreme Court yesterday zooming around on Zoom. And goodness gracious, it's amazing they didn't get hacked. These judges listening and hearing arguments about why they should keep court, uh, keep churches open and have more than uh, make it a full house at a church. I mean, the governor of Kansas, the Democratic governor, Laura Kelly, she wanted people to be in church but only in groups of 10, in a group of 10. She wanted to restrict that. She actually wanted to restrict those gatherings for days like today. And quite frankly, I wouldn't have had any church open. So I hope I'm not misrepresenting her position, but I think she wanted gatherings to be down to 10 
rather than not at all. And if I have that wrong, I can be corrected, but that's what I heard her say. But why is the New York Times behaving in this manner? And I mean, there's all kinds of answers that I could give, and I have given them as recently as Saturday in the episode I did on Tara Reid. All I have asked, and I said it yesterday, is that the biggest newspapers in the country, the mainstream and corporate news media, start reporting on these allegations. They should not be passing judgment on guilt or innocence of Joe Biden. They should not be waving flags either saying he's guilty of sin. They should not be saying that we didn't find these allegations to be credible. What they should be doing is what they essentially did in the end, which is report the story in depth. And good that they finally have done that after all these other publications have. But to have a tweet out there saying that we find that these allegations were not credible and there was no corroboration of them, that is not your job, New York Times. Just like it's not your job to declare five young black and Latino boys in Central Park guilty with your headlines, with your columns. And then you've got, back in the UK, Boris Johnson and his government again. I have some other things to say about that. And I'll be right back. Johnson's uh, government there, the government in the UK. New York Post today, April 12th, from Lee Brown, the headline, the coronavirus spreads at least 13 feet, travels on shoes, CDC. I'm going to read a part of that now. The coronavirus can travel through the air at least 13 feet, more than twice as far as social distancing guidelines, according to a report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. Research published in the Federal Agency's Emerging Infectious Diseases Journal shows the contagion spreading far further than previous official suggestions and also getting spread on people's shoes. Quote, the aerosol distribution characteristics indicate that the transmission distance of COVID-19 might be four meters, the reporting says, translating as more than 13 feet. Let that sink in for a second. 
when you are being told to physically distance at least six feet, six feet apart, just triple that distance. What I'm seeing here in San Francisco chills me. I took a walk yesterday and I am seeing 10 people inside a liquor store, 15 people inside a liquor store. No mask, no gloves, and they're standing very close to each other in a very small liquor store that I walked past. And now you've got this CDC report saying that the coronavirus can travel through the air at least 13 feet. You've got nobody wearing a mask in that place. Nobody wearing any gloves. No one putting on a scarf over their face, over their nose, over their mouth. People are just walking around carefree here in San Francisco. There are some exceptions. There have been in other places in San Francisco. And other times I've seen people wearing masks. And it is good that people are doing that now. But you still have these pockets of resistance where people are not doing that. And I hope that they get to read this report from the CDC as uh, published and referred to in today's New York Post. Again, the headline, the coronavirus spreads at least 13 feet, travels on shoes, CDC, by Lee Brown. That should send chills through you. This is the CDC saying this. And the CDC has not been doing the greatest job. Nor has the conservative government, the Tory government in the UK. And that's been true for a long time. Here's a headline from Friday with the Guardian. Friday, April the 10th. Heather Stewart and Dennis Campbell write this. Here's the headline. NHS workers angered at Hancock's warning not to overuse PPE. I mean, the nerve of this guy. The Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, has urged NHS staff not to overuse personal protective equipment, sparking criticism from doctors and nurses leaders. Quote, we need to everybody to treat PPE like the precious resource it is, he said on Friday. Everyone should use the equipment they clinically need in line with the guidelines, no more and no less. This is just crazy. I mean, the article goes on to talk about how the government does not recommend the general use of protective face masks to slow the spread of the disease. This is just insane. This is the psychopathy that I'm talking about. Hancock warned the public against overusing protective equipment. I mean, this goes back to this herd immunity thing that, that has been talked about in his government, in the conservative government a few weeks ago, where you had the chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, and others talking about herd immunity. Just let it wash through the population. And they will... By then, because so many people have the virus, we will all develop immunity to it. Well, first of all, that is insane. That is dangerous. That is a way of killing off large swaths of the population, especially those who are very vulnerable. 
i.e. the elderly, i.e. the young, i.e. those with pre-existing conditions, which is nearly all of us, especially those who are black. This is the kind of psychopathic madness. This is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. What kind of government do you want? You have Trump saying the same thing over here in the U.S., You've got this ridiculous drumbeat for letting this thing spread. Washington Post today. Trump administration has many task forces, but still no plan for beating COVID-19. Here's an excerpt from this article from Ashley Parker, Yasmin Abutaleb, and Josh Dorsey. Quote, why don't we let this wash over the country? Trump asked, according to two people familiar with his comments a question other administration officials say he has raised repeatedly in the Oval Office. This is the kind of psychopathic drumbeat that both the UK and US governments have been investing in. Certainly the chief people in those governments. Matt Hancock, may I remind people in the UK and elsewhere, had this virus himself. He had to self-isolate for seven weeks, seven days, rather. He lost weight. He couldn't smell anything. And now he's as fresh as a daisy, telling people on Friday, especially in the NHS, who have lost at least 20 people, including Donna Campbell. Rest in peace, Donna. She died today from COVID-19, becoming at least the 20th NHS worker, nurse, or caregiver, care worker to die from this virus. You've got NYPD detectives dying from it. You've got people all over the country and the world dying from this virus who are on the lines, the front lines of protecting us. And you've got Matt Hancock on Friday telling the public, no, no, doctors and nurses, we need to treat this resource sparingly. This is a, this is a golden chalice. You can't put that on your face. As you're saving the life of people who are trying to save the lives of people who have this virus. This is the kind of callousness that I've talked about before. Matt Hancock, absolutely callous, just like Pretty Patel, absolutely callous, not a clue. They don't want a clue. It's not that they don't have one. They don't want one. They want people to die. Donald Trump wants people to die. He has not acted. He has been slow. I've talked about this. Many others have. The New York Times and organizations much larger have talked about this. They've documented this. It's in memos. It's out there. He's known since November. He just doesn't want to do anything about it because he's thinking about his businesses and his properties and getting people back to work in them. And he's thinking about his re-election bid. That's why these clownish press conferences, which are really campaign rallies, are on every day. And he tells you one thing one day. And in fact, the next 10 seconds, he tells you that he didn't say it. This is all deliberate. This is Mickey Mouse garbage on the Orwell scale of dystopia. And this is madness. Matt Hancock in the UK. Oh, well, you know, a front door is better than any face mask, is it? What about if, if you can't stay at home? What about if you are someone who is a survivor? of domestic violence. What are you supposed to do then? 
put a front door in front of your face as you're walking outside? Matt Hancock, totally tone deaf. But this is willful. And then, today Matt Hancock, on the BBC, suddenly gets some kind of education here. What matters is that we pay tribute to their service. I'm, I'm particularly struck, I really want to stress this, I'm particularly struck at the high proportion of people from, from minority ethnic backgrounds and people who've come to this country to work in the NHS who've, who've died of coronavirus. Um, and I think that's, a, I find it really upsetting actually. And it's a, um, it's a testament to the fact that people who've come from all over the world have come and given their lives in service uh, in the NHS and, you know, they, and, and, and paid for that with their lives. And, and I think that we should recognise the enormous contribution, uh, not only of, of course, uh, people who were born here work in the NHS, but there is just something in these, uh, in, in the early, in, in the numbers of people who died um, who work in the NHS, who've come from overseas in order to work in the NHS. And I want to pay tribute to them and specifically to thank them and all those who come from abroad and work in the NHS for, the, for their service at this very difficult time. That was, Man Han- Man. that was Matt Hancock today. Matt Hancock on the BBC, just two days after he was telling the public and telling these healthcare workers in the NHS. Well, you know, you should treat this as a precious resource. Be sparing about how you use those masks. You know, we didn't have any, very many of them. We didn't really plan for them. Pretty Patel. Well, I'm sorry, you know, if, if people think we failed, there have been failings. But there's this PPE, there's this demand for it. Well, you guys didn't do anything about that. You didn't meet the demand. You guys knew about this. And now Matt Hancock today, two days after he says, well, you know, you guys should uh, go easy on the mask that you're wearing there in the NHS. Never mind that 20 of you are dead. Never mind that at the same press conference on Friday, I had to say, well, I'm going to pass this question over to the chief nursing officer, Ruth May. Maybe she can answer how many people are dying. And then she couldn't. So maybe I'm passing the buck because, you know, I'm the, uh, uh, the, uh, Chief health officer in this country? I'm the health secretary. But I don't know how many NHS people have passed away from this virus. And now he knows. Now he's been heard. Now he's definitely had people giving him these figures of people. And, oh, and now I have to realize, oh, I just, it just occurred to me that, that black people work for the NHS and they are dying and in high numbers. And so I want to pay tribute to, to their service for them coming over here. Let me tell Matt Han- Hancock something. In 1948, the NHS National Health Service was born in the UK. And after the war, 1948 came after World War II, you had people coming from the Caribbean, black people, to make a life for themselves in the UK and also to help build the UK back up after the Blitz, where the country and where London in particular, but where the country was being bombed to kingdom come by the Nazis. And so you had 
black people coming over and building the country back up with their bare hands. They were coming into the NHS. They came over from Trinidad, from Barbados, from all of these Caribbean countries. And they came to help the UK, the Commonwealth, which had really, you know, had control over these countries. Many of them got their independence in the 1960s, including Barbados, including other places, and in the 1950s. And so what you had is you had black people coming over from the Caribbean to get a better life, to live in the UK, but to help the UK rebuild. The nation was in tatters after that bombing. The Blitz, the continuous pounding for weeks and weeks on end of the UK, particularly of, of London, but of the UK. And black people came in from the Caribbean to rebuild the country. They came in to energize the National Health Service that was created by Nat Bevan, the labor leader, the labor politician. And many of the people in the NHS who are working as doctors, as nurses, as caregivers, are from the Caribbean, are black people coming in and who came in in the late 1940s into the 1950s and helped rebuild and built the UK up from basically scratch. I mean, they were this that country, my native country was bombed to pieces. And again, a lot of the people who came into the NHS were people from the Caribbean who worked as doctors, as nurses, as caregivers, nursed people back to health. And Matt Hancock, now in 2020, has just realized this. Oh, I've got to say, the, the people who uh, have come in here, you know what? Under this Brexit, that he and Boris Johnson and the rest of the Tories were cheerleading for the better part of, what, three, four years. Under Brexit, which, thank God, hasn't been fully implemented yet, and the implementation period is going to be delayed, I'm sure. I mean, even Brexiteers are calling for it to be delayed, some of them. But do you know that if Brexit was implemented, you wouldn't have had the people who came here for the Caribbean, came in for the Caribbean, they wouldn't be allowed to come into the UK. They wouldn't be able to help with this pandemic right now. They wouldn't be able to treat people in the UK. Doctors are dying and nurses are dying. And I'm telling you, it's more than 19 NHS workers a lot of these figures are under-reported. Under-reported. I'm sure there's much more than 10,000 people who have died in the UK. The testing in the UK has not been good either. Over 22,000 people have died in the US of A. And that number is going to continue to rise with very little testing still in this country as well. Matt Hancock has to get his finger out and stop offering platitudes 
and stop being so psychopathic. This psychopathy has got to go. And that's what we've got in these governments. Matt Hancock just wakes up and realizes, oh, uh, yeah, you know, I've got to pay a special tribute to people from minority. Listen to him with this minority nonsense. Never mind that, you know, black people are, make up the majority around the globe and that, you know, people who are brown, people who are Asian make up the majority. Never mind that. But these minorities are coming over here and helping us. Matt Hancock is showing you an astonishing level of ignorance and psychopathy. This is the guy who just two days ago said, well, you should go easy on these masks. And we have Donna Campbell, the latest, and she's a, a black woman, by the way, she was, a nurse, a caregiver, dying from this virus. The psychopathy knows no bounds with these folks in government. And I keep going back to what kind of government do you want? Do you want a government that emphasizes that you're on your own, like Margaret Thatcher did in the 1970s and early 80s? Oh, we know we're just a collection of individuals in a society. Taking that Ayn Rand principle of libertarianism and Darwinism and you're on your own and selfishness is a virtue. These policies that have riddled and ripped the UK and this kind of vulture approach to solving problems. Well, if a few million people in the UK die, well, so what? It's herd immunity. It's herd immunity, stupid. Don't you get it? We just let this burn through the population. Trump, the same thing. Oh, we know we just let this burn through the population. You know, that's, that's okay. Someone's got to pay a price. That's life. You know, we're going to go all uh, Frank Sinatra on you now. That's life. Deal with it. You know, Boris Johnson is a lucky lad. Boris Johnson is a very lucky lad. And he is now going to be continuing his recovery at his residence in Chequers in Buckinghamshire, which is just about, what, 50 miles outside of London, a little bit less than that, perhaps probably overstated it a bit too much. Uh, but it's literally, you know, it's about, about an hour or so north of London, if not more. So, I mean, but you've got these healthcare people in the NHS dying. And the fact that Matt Hancock two days ago didn't have that information and tried to pass it off to, well, he did, to Ruth May, the chief nursing officer, and she didn't have the information. So where are the figures? Why aren't these figures being released? Why aren't there figures about the racial disparities being released, both by the UK and the US in general? I know some states have here in the US released those figures, but only a few. We need to know who exactly this virus is taking the life of. We have figures on gender. We have figures on men and women. And we know that more women, excuse me, we know that more men die from this virus than women do. Why can't we find out and get the figures on race? We obviously know that black people die at a far higher rate, disproportionate to the percentage of the population here in the U.S. in several states, in states across the country. Why can't we see these numbers in every single state? Why can't we see these numbers in the U.K.? 
Parliament's going to be going back to work in the UK, by the way, on April the 21st. That's still a full nine days from now. That's still too far away as far as I'm concerned. Because questions need to be asked of both of these governments in the UK and certainly here in the US. And I know that Nancy Pelosi, here, the Speaker of the House, has put together this task force, this uh, commission, to do an investigation. And she said, well, we're not going to be investigating the Trump administration. Well, you should be, Speaker Pelosi. Your commission should be doing this. Because an administration that has been completely ignoring the dangers of this, the New York Times articles that have come out, the Washington Post articles that have come out, in these last 24 to 48 hours that have talked very clearly about government officials warning Trump over and over again, having to go around him and have these confidential secret underground email discussions. And the New York Times published all this stuff yesterday. I don't see how on earth Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, can get away with now saying that they're not going to investigate the Trump administration. You should be. You should be investigating Trump. He should, quite frankly, be impeached again. Now, I know these Republicans are not going to acquit him. I misspoke when I said that the Republicans are not going to acquit Donald Trump if there were to be a second impeachment of him and he was going to have another sham trial. Of course, they would vote to acquit him just as they did in February. What kind of government do you want? And I didn't complete the choices. Do you want a government that says that you're on your own? Or do you want a government that cares about the people that it is supposed to be governing? You know, I put out a poll on my Twitter feed at the popcorn R-E-E-L. And I posed that question. What kind of government do you want? One that cares about people? One that shows strength? Or one that leaves things to you? People have given their answers. And you can see uh, where... That is, if you go on my Twitter page now, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L. But right now, we have a government here in the U.S. and certainly over in the U.K. that is leaving things to you. Well, particularly, I should say, here in the U.S. People are beginning to walk around, no mask. In some cases, there are people wearing masks, but there are also at least 30% of the people I've seen here locally not wearing a mask not wearing any kind of gloves, congregating in groups. You cannot have, and you have Trump looking at, oh, let's open up this country. First of all, you didn't close it. And second of all, it's the governors who have the authority to decide those things, not you. Yours is to provide guidelines. And since you're not someone, as you put it in your own words, who stands on a corner testing people, then you should just shut up and get out of the way. 
and let the medical professionals like Dr. Fauci run these briefings daily. Put him in charge of this task force. You've got so many task force now, task forces now, they're making your head spin and none of them are doing anything. Jared Kushner's in there. You've got this person in there. You've got the attorney general in there. The attorney general shouldn't be anywhere near there. Trump should not be anywhere near. This should be a briefing done by professionals. But, you know, this is a campaign rally for Trump. He gets angry when you sound the alarm on these things. This is what the psychopathy is. We are living in a psychopathic country. 22,000 people are dead here in the U.S., That is a death toll that surpasses Italy. And we're not thinking about testing people seriously. We're not even thinking about testing asymptomatic people seriously. We're not even having those conversations. Donald Trump is saying to you, well, you know, we should just uh, test only those who are really seriously ill. But let's open up the country. Let's have the economy working again. And I know there are people out there who are wrestling with that. But I don't even think that there's a question there. You cannot have an economy reopened. You cannot have a healthy economy if you do not have healthy individuals who can participate in rebuilding and energizing it. You cannot put carts before horses. You cannot be rash and run back into a building that has a crumbling infrastructure. And that is what America is at the moment and has been for some time. And I've talked about infrastructure previously in some of these episodes of this podcast. And to run back to a crumbling infrastructure, to a building that has no foundation is suicidal. We must test people. We must test people. We must test not just people who have symptoms. We must test everybody. And as many people as we possibly can. That's where the testing, that's where the money has to go now. To testing, to the PPEs, which you shipped to China in February. Donald Trump, Mike Pompeo. And now you are intercepting and seizing supplies that other countries are supposed to have. Because you guys decided in your infinite wisdom to ship 18 tons of the PPEs and ventilators and masks and gowns to China. And now you're telling us, well, wear scarves, put a sock in your mouth, put on a Halloween mask, put on a garbage bag. That's what nurses and doctors are doing in these hospitals. And now over 22,000 people, and I'm sure by the time I finish this podcast, it's going to be way, way higher are dying, are dead. 22,000 dead in the United States of America. And I, you know, I'm past comparing this with 9-11. I'm past comparing, well, all these deaths combined. We are going to surpass the amount of deaths that Americans suffered in Vietnam, a war that never should have happened. We're going to surpass that in this country. And then you've got a psychopath in the White House telling you, well, 60,000 people dead, that's a, hey, if we can get it to under 100,000, that's a, that's a great thing. 
What kind of government do you want? I know what kind of government I want. One that cares about people. One that helps people. One that helps the most vulnerable. You define a nation. You define a country by how it treats its most vulnerable individuals, its most vulnerable people. And a country is only as strong as that. And what we have is a country that insists on putting a government specifically, a Trump administration, a guy in the White House specifically, who insists in putting profits and his own self-gain ahead of the health and general welfare of the people of the United States of America. What kind of government do you want? You have psychopaths running around in the UK, running around at high levels of government, talking about, well, I'm sorry if people think that there's been failings. Well, don't be sorry about it, Home Secretary Patel. Do something to change it. And be humane. To the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, be humane. To Boris Johnson, now that you have left St. Thomas Hospital and now are at Checkers, with your own experience in tow, being in intensive care for six days, five days, be humane. Start caring about the average person. This Brexit thing does not reflect that. Be humane. Have compassion. Care for the least of these. Care for people who need care. It's time to abandon and ditch these neoliberal Reagan-Thatcher policies that have put people last and put making money first and foremost. And one most. O-N-E. One most. It is time to treat people with humanity and respect and care and compassion. I've talked about this many times. Compassion and love and care and respect are needed now more than ever before. In a very real way, one of the things that this pandemic is exposing beyond the horrors and evils of a systemic racist system and a system bent on creating poverty is the exposure of psychopathic politicians who are hell-bent on destroying the most vulnerable people in their countries and destroying what little infrastructure is left in those countries, in those governments. We're seeing it in both the UK and the US. 
especially in the U.S. with Trump. What kind of government do you want? For those of you in the UK, you voted for yours last December because it was all about Brexit. And Brexit, had it been implemented by now, would have prevented lots of doctors from coming in from certain places in Europe and elsewhere to help deal with the overload of the hospital system in the NHS right now. It is time to scrap these kinds of ridiculous, selfish, psychopathic, sociopathic things like Brexit. Going it alone does not help. And you saw what happened for the week that Boris Johnson was in hospital in the UK. You had his government, that government making a pig's ear of things. And they'd already been doing that when he was healthy enough to run the government. Pretty Patel, Matt Hancock, Dominic Robb. Clueless, willfully so. This isn't incompetence, this is willful. It's the same thing over here. The two countries with the highest rates of death now, or at least UK is fast becoming that after the US, are the two countries who have shown absolute contempt for the average person. Contempt for the National Health Service. Contempt for, like Trump does say over here, why are they stealing all these masks? How come you are now having less masks around? Accusing healthcare workers here of stealing masks. So you had Matt Hancock saying, well, don't use all these masks up there, precious commodities. Excuse me, people are dying. And these doctors and nurses need protection. Matt Hancock. And then you have Trump going, well, you know, how come these masks are dwindling? They're going out the back door. Is that what's happening? Are they going out the back door? How come these masks all of a sudden became a certain number? And he's saying that these healthcare workers are stealing masks. When the healthcare workers need masks, they're wearing trash bags. They're wearing Halloween masks. We need compassion. We need governments who care about their people. We don't need raging authoritarians and pathological liars and sociopaths and psychopaths because that's what we've got running both of these governments right now. Psychopaths, sociopaths, flaming liars. I ask again, what kind of government do you want? And if you're in the U.S., vote for it this November. Ask yourself that question and vote for the government you want this November. I think the choice now is very, very clear. Indeed. I am Omar Moore. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Politocrat.